0: You are listening to the Visualizing War podcast. In each episode, we talk about representations of war in art, text, film, and music. With new guests each time, we look at how people have described or imagined war in different periods and places, and we discuss the impact which war stories have on us as individuals and societies.
1: Hello, my name is Nicholas Vieta,
0: And my name is Alice Koenig.
1: And we co-direct the Visualizing War project at the University of St. Andrews. Our guests today are Jasper Orthus and Mary Dahm, editors of Ancient Warfare magazine, which is published in Holland by Carwanserai Publishers. Founded in 2007, Ancient Warfare examines the military history of many different ancient cultures in Europe, the Middle East, and parts of Africa and Asia, with a particular focus on Greece and Rome from around 1200 BC to 600 AD. It has thousands of readers all around the world and thousands tune in to the Ancient Warfare magazine podcast. We are keen to ask Jasper and Murray what their readers and listeners are interested in and how they as editors decide what stories to tell and what aspects of ancient warfare to look at. Jasper, Murray, welcome to the Visualizing War podcast and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you indeed.
0: You founded Mm -hmm. Ancient Warfare magazine in 2007. So perhaps you could tell our listeners a bit about how it started and why.
2: It's a bit of a story of uh, happy coincidences, I think. I studied history at university and and then I went to work for a commercial publishing company. And then I got hired by a a lawyer who was about to retire. uh, And he always enjoyed history. He wanted to start a publishing company. And I pitched Ancient Warfare magazine um, because I knew that there was a large community of people who were interested in this topic. so that's how it came about, really, just an experiment. But there were similar magazines, of course, in the 90s. I think the most inspiring one was Military Illustrated, which used to have military history in text and enlivened with custom art. It's now defunct, I think, or maybe exists in, in digital version only. I'm not sure. But that's, in short, how it came about.
0: OK, so a mix of serendipity, but also knowing that there was a community of potential readers out there and a fairly wide open publishing space.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, and frankly, um, you know, having a, a misenus basically to, to help start it is crucial for this kind of silly project.
3: Yeah, and I remember a, a post on Ramanami Talk saying, would anyone be interested in contributing to a to a?" an in-print magazine, would that work, anyone? That was how I sort of came across that.
2: (laughs) Murray contributed since the first issue, I think.
3: Yeah, that was, uh, again, serendipity. And as the years progressed, I wrote for most issues and then uh, joined the editorial team end of 2019.
1: And what about your readers? So who subscribes, um, what are they after, and how did the audience grow over the years?
2: It's very hard. We've done a few surveys over the years, but it's very hard to pin down because in the end people are just you know they're interested in in ancient military history. And I think military history in general is probably one of the types of history that gets the widest interest from the from the public, from people with a military background to people without any military background at all, who are just interested in the topic. and you know the Roman army is obviously one of those, institutions that really captures people's imaginations. As for what they're looking for, I think it's a, it's a combination. It's, it's mostly still what you'd expect with popular history, although we've always been, uh, on the one hand, careful uh, about just coming back to the same old topics. Uh, but we introduced the themes in the, in the issues so that we sort of would force ourselves and our authors to have variety year on year and that's work because in the end but there's still lots of stuff that we barely touched upon and only very few battles that we've done more than once hopefully once in a while something more esoteric or more academic in the sense of showing us how we know something or how um, knowledge is being advanced
0: Murray, could you talk us through a typical issue, just to kind of walk us through what readers find in a typical issue? And then maybe we could come on a bit more to one of the things you've mentioned, which is the theming that you go for, the kind of coverage across a year, perhaps.
3: So at some point in the previous year, the issues will have been announced for the the forthcoming magazine. And when the issue is planned, we essentially ask writers to pitch to us ideas about their their articles, whether they be theme or non-theme. So the theme is linked by generally quite a broad topic. And then the when the writers pitch for their articles, that's how they become thematic. Uh, and then outside of that, we have what we call non-theme articles. So generally each theme will have an introduction as well. And then the non-theme articles can cover anything from uh, looking at a particular piece of archaeological evidence, so we had a two-page spread on a Athenian cavalry altar. Then you can have on a particular papyrus that might say something interesting from Egypt, or a Vindolanda tablet which says something quite interesting. Then some non-theme articles that look at, you know, the marching column of the Roman army and the evidence for it, the idea of I wrote an article on the various evidence throughout both Greek and Roman military history, of what generals did during when they should have been sleeping, Uh, mainly inspired by Pompey's spending his sleepless hours reading books on strategy, Uh, you know, and Alexander staying up late the night before the Battle of Galgamela in in one version coming up with what he was going to do the next day. And so I think that there's a a smorgasbord of, of things that appeal, even if the theme's not your your thing, if you're a, if you're a Roman army specialist and you here is the issue on the Greco Persian Wars, there there will be something within that issue that appeals to you and whets your appetite, and then at the same time reading articles that are outside of your normal realm of expertise, I think also go oh, didn't know that <laughs> the issue that we're currently preparing is is on the Assyrians, and so there's you know the theme articles are looking at Assyrology, uh, which is certainly not mine and not Jasper's sort of wheelhouse, but that is, you know, a fascinating aspect of warfare and we've, we've got some fabulous writers contributing. And then around that are more typical Greek and Roman explorations of other non-theme issues. So I think that sort of, and then there's there's book reviews. We always review two books in reasonable depth at the end of the issue. And as uh, Jasper says, there's the further reading. And then, of course, the other aspect of the magazine is we normally commission between four and six that illustrate themed articles and so the writers contribute to an artist briefing, so they will provide the visual material upon which to base their, their artistic interpretation. So we, we get them to send us the, use this image to base the Roman legionary on or the Assyrian soldier or the Greek uh, hoplite, uh, use this, you know, this shield design, this, 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 this. For instance, the Battle of Plataea when the, the Spartan who was trying to avenge himself because he was the one survivor from the Battle of Thermopylae, show him breaking through the persian line generally speaking the the art will be a moment of dynamic action rather than a static moment doesn't have to be there's a there's one where we use the um the mercenary contract and so it was the mercenary pointing out the look my contract says that the family will be looked after so we had the wife and the child sort of don't go, don't go, and the mercenary pointing to the to the uh, contract inscribed on the temple wall. So they don't necessarily have to be action-packed, but action-packed is always a much more inspiring thing for the
0: artist. I think we probably want to dive into those illustrations a bit more in a minute. It would be really interesting to know from one or both of you how you get your writers it sounds like writers pitch articles to you but do you go around commissioning and what kinds of people write for you are they all academics are some of them historians who don't necessarily have a university position
2: all of the above (laughs) is the answer um we're always happy to entertain pitches from pretty much anyone as long as they can make a good case that they have the, the knowledge to write an article for us and they can pitch an angle uh, and a type of article that we're looking for. You know, it, it, there've been examples, both of people who said, oh, I want to basically uh, write the history of the Roman army in 1500 words, which necessarily is going to be slightly more superficial than than, than we want. And I've literally had people submit 27,000 words Papers for publication, which would take over about three issues of the magazine, but there's a happy medium in between. You don't have to have a any kind of specific education, but it does help. You have to be able to write, and you have to find an original angle and and convince us that um, that you can bring it to a level that that we're looking for.
3: And then the other aspect, of course, is that because we Illustrate each article richly with images of archaeological finds, uh, you know, sculptures, reliefs, even even terrain. Uh, in addition to the additional artwork, you have to be able to find them. Mm-hmm. So in some cases, this massive article is pitched on a thing that there simply isn't anything to illustrate, and we and you've used you know the Domitius of Hennabaris. Um, tomb, you've used that many many times, or the Pidna relief, you've used that many times. So you can't keep coming back to here's The only image we have of this thing, and so that can also dictate which articles are accepted. We do have a what we call a long form, which is more, much more text to allow that article to to be contributed. But if you want to pitch a huge article about a battle for which there is no visual evidence it's going to be very hard to make that work in terms of illustrations.
1: So there's really um, a bit of a collaborative aspect to the magazine and that there's really a lot of flexibility in terms of what might end up in uh, in a given issue. And there's a lot of collaboration with readers, other interested parties, people who would like to come into the discussion. I find that really quite interesting. It's a nice contrast to the sometimes very strict vetting that's often imposed on, on academic articles. It's really a different concept here that's more of a dialogue between you and your, your contributors and your and your audience.
3: Yeah, well, in the in the sense that the double blind is, is Jasper and I, so it's not really mm. blind at all. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also, and, and I think on, on very rare occasions, Jasper and I will meet and say, we really need an article from this angle or on this thing that we're missing in the pictures that we've received. Who can we ask that we know has the knowledge and would be willing to contribute an article on xyz so that often can be one thing that happens relatively early in the in that phase so that we covered so for instance on the greco-persian wars we've got a lot of greek perspective article pitches and we sort of said well we would like a persian warfare aspect can you approach that author who's written for us before and ask them to contribute something on that particular thing you can use to fill that in but we do like to bring in new authors in every issue there's certainly a group of authors who we know like to contribute to the magazine who have you know shown themselves able to fit the format and do all those things in the past who want to contribute into the future and that's great to lock them in for non-theme articles in theme articles and then at the same time new authors who've just pitched you something get a lot of uh, you know new PhD students who've you know, want to to pitch an article and it isn't that normal academic publishing, it's a different field, but it's in a way the readership, I think, of, of ancient warfare is wider than than many academic articles will ever, ever get. Oh, exactly, uh, having written, yes. Having written some academic articles and, and, you know, knowing that four people in the entire history of the world have ever read it. Um, it's actually quite refreshing that you can pitch some of those ideas in a similar way, and then de-academicize them in terms of the argument and, and get to the core of what you're trying to say. And that, I think, is a very useful skill, um, almost like doing a, a conference paper where you know, you've know you got a, a limited amount of time to say what you mean in many ways because you've only got 2,400 words to give us your argument. That or makes, less. Or less. <laughs> that can concentrate that into This is the argument. This is why I'm saying what I'm saying.
1: So it sounds like you have an an amazing spread of different themes and topics in your magazine. And it's uh, absolutely not all about battles, even though battles are important, but talking about lots of different aspects of warfare. One of the things that I'd be interested in is uh, coming at this from the other side. What are the things that you don't talk about? Because obviously you get a lot of submissions. Are there certain things where you say, this is where we draw the line, or this is something that is not quite a fit for what we are trying to do. I'm quite interested in that aspect of the selection process process as well
2: it's kind of hard to say really um we never really got esoteric because ancient warfare by its nature is fairly sort of concrete but some maybe some more economic or we had an issue about logistics for instance but that's that's something that's hard to make look good um as murray explained you have to have everything illustrated but i don't think there's any topics we wouldn't ever do and but the advantage is Certainly when it's it's part of a theme is the centerfold article. I'm sure there's exceptions you can find, but that's always a battle or a campaign because you have to have that. If we go too much into detailed debates, I'm going to get emails, people going, hey, I want, you know, battle maps with arrows, you know. But as long as that's in there, you can do something which has a big battle in the middle and then maybe something about, I don't know, where they get their uniforms and equipment. We've certainly had some social aspects of warfare, uh, warfare and and poetry, I think, and and things like that. I think the theme setup allows you to put in more uncommon or unexpected articles next to the very standard, this type of unit, we're going to discuss what the silver shields are and here's an illustration of what they might have looked like, stuff like that.
3: I think we we tend not to do reception studies articles in the sense of not doing this is like this modern campaign where you then get a huge paragraph on the modern campaign we tend to want to stay within the uh the ancient warfare remit although at the same time we just did one for instance on the tomb of the unknown soldier and the yeah exactly the public public cemetery at athens so that even is not a a blanket no that is a Generally speaking, we want to keep within ancient warfare. But obviously, there are various aspects of of ancient warfare which do compare to to modern practices. And so when the article can be pitched at the ancient compared to the modern rather than the modern compared to the ancient, that's certainly allowable. We don't get a lot of Chinese warfare or... It's funny being in Australia. Of course, my version of the Near East and Asia differ from from Europe and the UK. So, you know, Chinese, Indonesian, Malay... Vietnamese we don't get people pitching us articles on that very Uh, rarely but there's no there's no objection calls calls for authors um, on various platforms and so they they, we just haven't had the responses possibly because of the language barrier Um, you know that these these scholars aren't necessarily working in English if if someone was to pitch us that I absolutely we would go for it and and obviously there's a rich uh, visual and archaeological record to to be able to have uh, illustrations of that Mm -hmm. kind of warfare and I think in regards to sort of things we haven't done um, I think if any author pitched something which was illustratable I think we would we would absolutely entertain any one of those pitches really. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, so some interesting yeah. things coming out there then. So you're 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 sort of treading a relatively fine line, it sounds like. You're meeting readers' expectations. So, you know, Jasper, you said we need a battle in the center page, for example, but you're also taking the opportunity with your diving into the theme, looking at, let's say, the Persian side of the Greco-Persian Wars, not just the Greek side and so on, to stretch people's understanding of conflicts not just going back to the same old very famous very well-known battles and so on but it's this fine line isn't it between you know meeting those readers expectations and not necessarily going you know too far beyond them so for example have you ever considered a theme that's about women in warfare for example how might your readers react to that? Are they going to be interested in the sort of women in ancient warfare don't tend to fight. So you're, you know, you could have some Amazons in there. You um, could have some amazing warrior queens, but you yeah. might struggle to find your kind of pitch battle for the center page. So what, what would that look like? Yeah,
2: Wadling street wouldn't be very difficult.
3: Yeah. We've done things we- on Artemisia, for instance, not just Artemisia's participation, but also why is she called the manliest Persian and all of the other Persians have turned to women in the in the Herodotian account. Uh, so there's that sort of exploration of that aspect of it. Um, you know, Boudicca, obviously, is another mm-hmm. figure who's who's figured in the past. Uh, and there are several, whether it be Hatshepsut or other figures, but I think the problem with a lot is that there's not a lot of concrete information and, and illustratable information. Um, I think we had a fabulous article about some of the finds, I think, from Vindolanda, what, what we assume are archaeological remains of women inside the Roman camp and that they've yeah, had in a debate that article,
2: that were, about that yeah
3: there were women in male spaces so if someone was to pitch to us I want to explore this aspect it's absolutely something that we can fit in provided we can you know illustrate it uh, we've had you know things on wives and camp followers and again the evidence of that is generally negative because the only time we find out about camp followers is when they're expelled which mm-hmm. implies that they're always there and even after they're expelled, they come back relatively quickly for there to be the sort of mass of camp followers and wives and various other products and services being provided. It was only really evidence in a couple of, of Roman camps. And now we think that there's a weaker spot outside of every single Roman camp that ever was. Yeah. I think, I
2: think medieval warfare has done, uh, has, I know, has done an issue about women in warfare. I, I forget, I don't think ancient warfare has had a themed issue. So.
1: Can I circle back to the illustrations that are such an important part of, of your magazine? You've already said that there's the centerpiece that's a, a big attraction point, a big selling point uh, probably, but also each article is uh, heavily illustrated. So that's, that's obviously an extremely important part of the of the magazine. My question is: so what kind of a specific contribution do you hope for the illustration to make? In particular, I'm quite interested in the overlap between illustration and interpretation. I mean, obviously you were saying your authors work with the illustrators and they say here's a specific episode that I'm interested in here's a specific events that I'm interested in but obviously then the illustrator goes to work and the illustrator has to turn this into mm-hmm. a visualized story of its own so can you tell us a bit more about how that works sort of the, the contribution that the illustrations make the relationship with the text and so forth the,
2: the number of illustrations and if we're saying it can be illustrated means you know do we have artifacts or sculpture or locations is that is the bulk of the illustrations in an issue and many articles will be just fine with uh, you know a photo of, of some sculpture an inscription a location a helmet things like that that's mostly what we've increased the creation of the illustrations is an interesting process and it's different almost different every time because it'll, it depends on very much on the illustrator we've we've had a lot of different ones in the, uh, over the years uh, on how well they take instructions and corrections on their view of the events in the end the, the interpretation of an event is that's in their head an author may suggest something But we've had cases that the illustrator goes, what they want to see is nothing that I can bring onto paper in some way. If you've seen movies, say The Lord of the Rings, and you see big battles, and they might switch from a view of one person or a leader in front of his army or a big melee, or suddenly we get a a bird's eye view and you're looking down. And depending on what the author wants to depict you might have to choose a different point of view and not every illustrator can do everything very well or and not every type of illustration you might want to use makes for an attractive illustration even though some of them can be can explain something very well I mean we've once had for um, a Caesar issue a couple years ago we decided to make, that was um, the Battle of Pharsalus, and we decided to make the, the centerfold picture sort of a bird's eye view so that you can see how these formations go and, and you know Pompey's attack on the flank with the cavalry and Caesar's coming in with the reserve line. And I don't think that went over very well because that could have been a map. It was just a sort of an attractive version of a map. At the same time, depicting that from... Personal view would be nearly impossible because I'm sure you could have an illustrator draw some Roman soldiers fighting with some cavalry. But, uh, and sometimes you get authors who want to have the decisive moment in a campaign is when a decision was made and that we're, we're making this decision. Okay, how do we depict that? as four guys standing around a map. Not very interesting necessarily. That's what Murray said you know, you try to have some action because. The the publisher has sometimes asked, why do do all these covers have some guy going, ah? uh."
0: That's a really interesting point. I mean, some of the things that you're raising there are fascinating, Jasper. So the sense that you're kind of constantly triangulating a little bit between the story the author wants to tell, what's actually feasible in terms partly of the illustrator's technical ability, but also what we actually know and can reconstruct. Yeah, And then triangulating between these expectations, essentially between what we're really interested in in the project, habits of visualizing war. You mentioned, you know, great film scenes in battle uh, from the Lord of the Rings, for example. It'd be interesting to know whether you think that some of our really modern habits of visualizing war from film or from you know, great paintings that you you walk past in art galleries. Do you think they influence your illustrators and, and shape what they want to depict? Do you think actually that's partly in the background of what an author's interested in? I'd just be interested to know a little bit about whether you think these are, are kind of our modern habits of visualising war influence your readers' expectations and perhaps what your author or your illustrator want? Why have this person on the front cover holding their, holding their weapon up?
2: Do you want a person on the front cover because look at fashions magazines, they have a model that's staring at you. In the end, it's, we're doing the same thing, except it's a Roman soldier or a Greek soldier or a Syrian soldier. Uh, and yet the, the issue that's at the printer right now as a, has a soldier on a camel who sort of has this very relaxed look Staring into the distance, which is a really nice cover, in part because it's a change from the the very dynamic. I think sometimes some authors, especially when they're academics, who are very used to describing and and writing about ancient warfare, uh, are totally not familiar with the idea of, of having to instruct an illustrator and getting their ideas visualized. And then sometimes people start to refer to, you know, this famous painting or uh, a scene like that in this movie that definitely does happen. Just coming back, by the way, you were asking, what's the real, no, no early modern and and modern illustrations. uh, Like people sometimes say, why don't you use wonderful Renaissance paintings of Hannibal with outsized elephants? Well, that's, it's because it's something we've seen before and it's sort of, uh, re- sort of get into reception history, but it's not what our readers want to see. And it's kind of not what I want to see either. But such images do play a role, but it's, it's in the author, it's in the illustrator. The thing that plays a role is the kind of medium that the illustrator uses. Some of them still use uh, acrylics or uh, gesso or you know, old-fashioned analog media, uh, which means that they often go through a as. Several stages of doing sketches, and then once they start painting, it's going to get very difficult to make any changes. Uh, while somebody who works in works in, in in the computer does digital art, most of them do that now. You know, they might come up with something, and and we go, "Well, that's wrong." Or sometimes there's a lot more than just a couple of details wrong, and it's just very easy for them to make changes. And and all of these things play a role. Some of them are clearly just there to do a job and try to make our instructions into something that looks good, Uh, while some others will give you pushback and say, you know, the scene that you want to depict is going to look very boring. Can't I do X or Y? And then often it's a motivated illustrator generally does a better job. The best thing is to say, well, (laughs) go ahead and show me a sketch of what you think it should be. And you can go back to the author and say, how about this? yeah I've tried to get the
3: authors to to pitch the moment they want to illustrate as a way of inspiring the the illustrator that moment this one you know the 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 thing that we visualize when we read these accounts of ancient battles that you know inspired us back when and still do and that's an interesting skill because it's not the same skill as describing you know the formations of 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 a of an army or a battle but that idea of this moment here here's what you need to illustrate it I think one of the things that's really interesting for ancient warfare magazine is that the artists are ancient warfare illustrators that they're used to illustrating ancient warfare whereas uh working with some other illustrators they might come back with a with a question like well what what does the shoe look like you are like oh right um and then you often have to go and find you know ancient footwear to show this is this is a shoe whereas for most of our illustrators they've illustrated Roman legionaries, and therefore they know what the what the footwear looks like, you know, or, and or they will do bare feet on occasion. They'll put a helmet in that's the wrong error, or they'll put a sword in. You know, the 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 Alexander image that I had, they'd given him a pole in his tent, a Ziphos sword, and I went, "Oh, that should really be a copus." Can we make bomb copus? Like fabulous. So uh, <laughs> that sort of uh, adjustment is is always something that's very useful and again i think it's it's an interesting way of um an author because several authors have come they don't like to suggest illustrations whereas for me uh you know even if it is just on wikimedia going oh yeah that one oh that that one that one that one that one that one and we have a dedicated person who's you know hunting for images to illustrate the articles and will often find things you had no idea existed which is fantastic but again as jasper said you can't just have images of coins I did one article, which may have ended up in the esoteric column on the crossbow fibulae. Uh, basically, you know, four pages on crossbow fibulae and how the argument I was making was that the they start out as soldiers' cloaks, but they've soon spread to everyone. So you have that famous image of Stilicho, where his he, his son, and his wife all have what technically was a military brooch or clasp. But they're all wearing it as a sort of a show that they're in, a, in this together sort of thing and we did get an article going yeah. an email saying that was a bit ooh, didn't like that article that sort of idea that you can explore a thing and 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 the illustrations for that obviously were brooches which is yeah, that's that's quite a lot of brooches Murray. can you so i i think that for me that that's an exciting part of it whereas i know that there are several authors who that's not their thing they write words they don't think about visual representation of those words Which I love all of the aspects of the presentation of my ideas, whether it be visual, uh, bespoke piece of art, or, or the words, and even the phrase on the page. That is absolutely all part of how you visualize war for the readers.
0: And again, you're touching on issues that are really interesting to the Visualising War Project, this interplay between different kinds of storytelling. So the images in Ancient Warfare magazine are absolutely vital to each issue because they kind of complete or complement, fill out the story that the words are telling. So what you're saying both of you, is that there is a kind of a mix of authenticity, of accuracy. You've got these illustrators who are really, really well versed in what ancient weaponry looked like, what ancient soldier's uniform looked like, and so on. But so there's that authenticity and accuracy, but there's also always this element of interpretation. So I suppose that kind of brings me to a question, which I I know Jasper and I have chatted about a tiny bit, because he introduced me to a fabulous podcast called 99% Invisible, which is all about the fact that, you know, you only ever see the top 1% or the top 10% of an ice and everything else underneath is unseen and hard to get at. And that is what a lot of ancient history is like. So I suppose my question is, obviously your issues give us so many different angles on a particular theme and then the art and the text and the scholarship all feeding in. But just how easy is it for us in the 21st century to visualise, to really understand ancient warfare?
3: Well... For me, um, there's, you know, one of the things that inspired me is obviously stories, oral stories to start with, and then reading texts about ancient warfare and, you know, the inspiring um, actions of particular individuals. So that very much is the top 1%. Generally, we're dealing with generals. We occasionally get individual soldiers or centurions and and lower ranks. And of course, there's the anonymous masses of the phalanx or, or the legion and other formations. But at the same time, one of the most inspiring images I ever saw as a young man was the image from Maiden Castle of a, a spine with a ballista bolt stuck through it. That for me was such a, I suppose, any skull with 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 scarring on it of, of what looks to be Clearly a wound that could have killed them. But then we're told that, no, there's actually bone growth. That's not the wound that killed them. They just got struck in the head with a sword. You're like, oh, my God. So those images to me really brought ancient warfare to life in the sense that you could see the effect much more than here's a sword, here's a helmet in a museum. So they were they were very connected to the human reality of what it must have been to be at war in the ancient world. And then combining that with the texts, in a way where we are disadvantaged at being 2000 plus years removed from the the, the the stories we're studying. But then at the same time, reading in the fourth century AD about what Leonidas did at Thermopylae, they're in exactly the same position because here we are a thousand years apart. They're writing about, reading about Greek warfare when the, the Roman Legion in the fourth century AD is very, very different. And even though they've got that archeological record all around them in a much better preserved state than we have, they're still so far removed from the cultural sort of aspects of it and one of the great things for me is all of them talk about how everything starts with homer and we're lucky enough to have homer it's not like they say everything starts with Bacchylides, and you're like oh we've only got a couple of poems and so for us in a way we have an advantage of being able to go we have this text that you claim as this this foundational document and we can read it and again, the interpretation of Homo is a never-ending debate, but we can actually gain that and use that tool to visualise, yes, at two thousand plus years remove, but still be in contact with it. And I think that aspect of contacting the past and and getting insight into the the humans involved, you know, they're, they're, one of the things that's so appealing is you can read Homer and you can read Aristophanes and you can read Plato even, uh, much harder with Plato, but still Plato, um, and see real people and see real perspectives and attitudes towards not just warfare, but other aspects of life that mean you connect with those individuals. And you can see that those were real people who did these things. And sometimes those things are unbelievable, but So they are when you read about the the exploits of people in World War II and in any war. You're like, how on earth did they do? Oh, can't believe they did that. And for me, ancient warfare is exactly the same. So I I think there's a a very complicated web of things that feed back into why ancient warfare appeals to me. And I think to anyone who's interested in, I'll say the human aspect, um, you know, one of the readerships and authors that we haven't touched on are reenactors who really want to talk about how they made their armour or their aspis shield and and that sort of aspect of their life and living history is part of who they are. So for me, all of those things feed into uh, how we we view ancient warfare. But again, the idea that I could read something else that will change my opinion or will add a different layer or will mean that... uh, you know, my, my my view has to shift. So I think that those are all fascinating aspects of being a modern ancient historian.
2: I think it's very hard to get close to ancient warfare, but I think that the fun of the magazine is that you can try again every two months. Yeah, We, we try really hard to get it right. And I know that especially the illustrations, you can poke holes in just about every one of them. Because that's just a fact of life, and it's time constraints and, and all kinds of problems. The difficulty with the illustrations, and especially in the magazine, is of course that you have to make decisions. You can't say, well, it could be this, or it could be that. It can, only be, it can only be one thing. That goes for the whole magazine. So it is an ongoing conversation that we have with our readers. And if we find that there's new insights about something, we can have new articles about that and And update things. And in that sense, the magazine almost works the same way as as a wiki page that is updated continually. The fact that we don't know everything very well maybe is an advantage because that means that we keep going and going.
0: Yeah, I like the point you've made that, you know, you can try every couple of months, you can come back to it and try again. And and that feeds into what Murray said as well about this evolving picture that, you know, we we stumble upon new things and that sort of stretches our perception and adds something new on all the time. So, yeah, I like that idea that we're constantly kind of building up a kind of growing, changing picture of ancient warfare. So there's some proximity, but there's also distance, but it's this sort of, ongoing conversation as you say
1: yeah I particularly like the um, the metaphor of the dialogue and uh, this idea of engagement and it's a dialogue between you and the readers and the readers and the authors and the readers with each other but it's also dialogue with the material that we have from the past this constant process of engagement that lies at the heart of all history in a way this ongoing attempt to make sense of what we have and to rethink what we have and think about new ways of looking at what we've already looked at 500 times. (laughs) Taking my cue from this idea of dialogue and the impact of war stories, one of the things that um, we were quite interested in exploring with you is also the question to what extent you think that uh, thinking about ancient warfare and approaching ancient warfare within certain categories, uh, from certain angles, to what extent might that reinforce ways in which uh, you, your authors, your readers also think about modern warfare? Do you think there's there's kind of a feedback loop going on between how we think about war more generally and ways in which we think about ancient war then has an effect on how we think about modern wars? Or do you see these things as completely different?
2: What I've seen, you run a bigger risk of going the other way around because modern war is always more urgent and leads to new interpretations of what we see in the past, often based on experiences. And and you can have all kinds of discussions about how relevant they are for ancient warfare
0: yeah, there's certainly a trend, isn't there, in scholarship to look for counterinsurgency in the ancient world, for example, or look for PTSD in the ancient world.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that is kind of articles that are really fun to to publish in the magazine, because that gives us a, a connection to the reader, or at least a, the idea of a connection, uh, similarly to what Murray said about um, the skulls and, and backbones.
3: We even had the PTSD debate, because again, yeah. that's... That's a divisive debate because there are those who say no and there are those who say it's evident. And, of course, the problem is that you've got a modern diagnosis. I mean, it's the same with Nero. You've know, you got modern authors who want to uh, diagnose what was wrong with Nero or Caligula or some other Roman emperor and use modern diagnostics to explore an ancient text which didn't know what it was explaining. So it's very tricky. And at the same time, it's very engaging. For you to say, I am diagnosing Nero with this disorder um, because people go, Oh, I understand that. And I think that premise of ancient warfare, the idea of the soldier being the same kind of experience today or in the ancient world, is that's the glue that holds those sorts of reception studies together. That the experience of being a soldier, not you know, one's fighting with swords and spears, and others fighting with rifles. The, the cohesion of a unit you know, again another modern idea unit cohesion we don't get ancient terminology about unit cohesion but we do get unit cohesion in ancient warfare you know whether you're talking about the Theban sacred band or whether you're talking about other elite units there there is terminology that comes into talking about ancient warfare that's come from modern warfare and often on a on a very surface level it can be made to apply absolutely but i think you go below that it doesn't necessarily fix or it needs to shift and evolve you know that that the ancients didn't think of unit cohesion in the same way mm-hmm. uh, and combined arms you know combined arms there's all these different modern combined arms tactics like well that's what alexander was doing that's what what caesar was doing at the battle of Pharsalus. that's what you know xyz was doing here and here and here i think in a way many of those modern for lack of a better term buzzwords do get interpreted and Push back and say let's look at them but that's always happened you know when the when tanks first appeared they were compared to chariots which
2: mm-hmm. was
3: a complete misinterpretation of what chariots did in ancient warfare <laughs> you know they're a tank like no 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 they weren't a tank they were an archery platform no they weren't an archery platform they were a, they were a striking vehicle blah, blah 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 so i think in a way it also helps because it opens up the debate again to re-explore what we know about these things and to 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 say actually Here's the nuanced interpretation of yeah. that. As, as Jasper said, it, it, it's sort of the other way around often. I mean, one of the great advantages I have in my life is that I've never seen a war, haven't served. So talking to to servicemen, we have several authors who are who have served. Um, and obviously their perspective on ancient warfare differs and changes because of that service. And there are several people who I've spoken to who became interested in ancient warfare because they were servicemen. Um, whereas I, I kind of got inspired by stories of Herodotus, and I mean, my father was in the army, so I, I was interested in warfare because of that family connection. Um, but I was always ever a, a, an armchair military person. Um, you know, I enjoyed films and, and um, well, plastic soldiers. Let's face it, I you know, war gaming and things like that. But but my interest in ancient warfare was very much evoking the stories from the ancient sources and what the pictures they put in my head really
0: you mentioned the fact that we might use modern terminology and read it back but I think there's even a you know I think an example of ancient terminology the term strategy for example that actually means something rather different in the modern world but that we then read back in with that modern understanding back into ancient decision making Um, it's a very complicated relationship Mm -hmm. as you say and then you've just brought in the the fact that the modern person's positionality whether they were a soldier or not what kind of exposure they've had to modern warfare makes a huge difference to what they want to investigate what they're interested in um in historic ancient whether it's first world war or whether it's really ancient material um all of those factors play in don't they
2: they do and uh, as murray said we get very regularly get people emailing us oh you know retired from the military and I found your magazine it's really interesting and it sometimes resonates sometimes doesn't
0: so I suppose that brings us on to another question which is what do you think the impact of ancient war has been you've got thousands of readers you've got a podcast which has thousands of listeners you've branched out into medieval warfare and you've got also a war games magazine as well what's the secret to your success do you think persistence think- <laughs> persistence <laughs> what do you think the impact of, your? you know, you started in 2007 and it's grown and grown. What do you think your impact has been?
2: It's hard to say. We get feedback from our readers. More often, it's kind of like, this is, you know, I find this very interesting or this is maybe, you know, sometimes you get, it gets too esoteric, too academic. And it's feedback in the kind of sort of helps us gauge where the magazine is going. The dialogue is more us and the authors and what we see that's going on in academia that I think as, as editors, we have a sort of a guiding role in uh, in a magazine by, by necessity is more of a broadcast medium than a dialogue. We put it out there and people hopefully read it and enjoy it and hopefully People who read the magazine learn something about it, and it's cer- certainly something that we try to encourage: learn a bit about the profession of history, and and perhaps pick up an extra book and read more.
3: I think I think it fits a niche. Obviously, there are people who want to read about ancient warfare, and that number keeps growing, which is good. And we don't get emails of. I detested the last issue of this magazine. Cancel my subscription. So I think even though we get people, that's no, so
2: what you think, Murray. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well,
3: I, I haven't seen them, but I was pretty sure if if one of my articles was to blame, I'd get that email. But <laughs> yeah, the that idea true. that if there's an esoteric, if there's an esoteric article, it's only one of you know 16 articles in the issue. Therefore, there are others that peel. And next time round, there might not be that one article that you like less but at the same time one of the positives of that is that this person has obviously read this article that didn't appeal to them and has you know so you, you you're you getting readership and i think one of the other impacts that i've noticed is the a you've got new academics and academics wanting to publish in a general readership forum which in years gone by was not the field of the academic the academic did not write popular history and that's begun to change and it's also one of the things that was interesting when i was still at university and ancient warfare had just come out so this is this is uh, back in 2008 the attitude of the university towards my cv which had uh you know only only six or seven articles from ancient warfare on it but there was this section of general readership and rather than go what's this you know hobby you're dabbling in here which would have been the attitude in the, the 1990s, for instance, was not. It was, well, well, done, you know, and that was a really interesting shift for me that here was an attitude towards articles about ancient warfare that were getting a, a wider spread of readership and clearly would be read more widely than, than even academic peer-reviewed articles might be. And so that, I think, there's been a change that if you can appeal to a, a general reader and a wider readership, that's obviously a positive for what can be a very niche academic and sort of esoteric field.
1: I think that certainly chimes with what we're seeing from the more academic end of things, that academics become more aware of the potential that is in exploring different ways of publishing research, but also, of course, the responsibility to make our research um, as widely available as we can and to reach know large audiences they go beyond fellow academics i can see how that appeals and the only other question i have now is what's in store for for you for your readers in the mid and long term for ancient warfare and sister magazines what do you think
2: there have always been a lot of plans but they they always have to match in you know in available hands and time and uh, i mean the obvious question is are there going to be more magazines we've always thought about um, you know the next one in 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 line what that would be so it's actually kind of a hard choice where you would um uh, how you would bracket um the early modern period um i mean as historians we have sort of standard set periods but you're also trying to think of what you know where's your audience i mean but we've also found that it's getting that right i mean I'm not trying to dump ourselves on the chest but getting the the the, the right editor for the for the for a magazine is crucial it's it's not easy to find that person you have to have a certain amount of knowledge and a certain amount of of sense for for where that fine line is as you mentioned it Alice what your readers might want to read
0: can I ask one additional question which is just talk us through what your wargaming magazine looks at
2: Wargaming Magazine is about the hobby of miniature wargaming um, specifically. Uh, it's not about what they call it, chit or or block wargaming or various other kinds of uh, of playing games on maps. It is about the moving diorama style in the UK, um, best known probably by Games Workshop, who does fantasy and sci-fi, but uh, Wargame Soldiers and Strategy, the remit is anything that, has been or could have been on the, on, on the earth as it exists with you know very limited sidesteps to some sci-fi and fantasy. So the visualizing war in that magazine comes down to, uh, on the one hand, literally visualizing in that you you're putting together armies and terrain that might make for a believable scenery to play your game in. And the other much more difficult aspect is, I think in the rules writing, That necessarily has various steps of interpretation of the rules writer reading sources and secondary literature and trying to compile that into a set of rules that is both interesting uh, and fun for people to play, and while at the same time giving a sense of what warfare in the period might have been like. The
3: whole point of here's the new releases and reviews of. Of miniatures for you to be able to make your armies in various different scales all the way through to battle reports of play-by-play turn descriptions of a game that's been played that just you know some people really love that idea of of talking through how the turns in a, in a war game happened and you know how the how the game played out so uh it's got those aspects of, of visualizing as well i suppose
1: And uh, Jasper, Murray, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
0: Thank you very much.
1: Uh, It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. And uh, listeners can find out more about Ancient Warfare magazine by visiting the Kawan Sarai Publishers website. And you can find their podcast on the History Network and on Apple Podcasts. Do give it a listen. There are lots of great episodes to choose from.
0: And do keep tuning in to the Visualizing War podcast too. Next time, we'll be staying in the ancient world, but switching from magazine writing to theatre making. We'll be joined by members of NMT Automatics, a professional theatre company that specialises in updating ancient myths for modern audiences. They are currently producing a new play, Tempus Fugit, Troy and Us, which weaves together an ancient Greek war story with a modern couple's experiences of conflict in Afghanistan. We'll be asking them how past habits of visualising war can influence or change how we look at contemporary conflict. And we'll also be talking to them about the creative decisions that they've taken when working out which aspects of war they want to dramatise on stage. So do join us for what promises to be another interesting episode.
1: And if you would like to support our project, please share and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or whatever platform you use so you don't miss an episode. And please do leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast, because that really helps people find the show. And if you would like to join the conversation further, you can follow us on social media. Just search for Visualizing War or get in touch directly by emailing us on viswar at st-andrews.ac.uk.
0: Our theme music was composed by Jonathan Young. The show was mixed by Zafir Gertin. Thank you for listening.